today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Forgiveness never comes cheap or it's not forgiveness. You see what's involved in real, genuine, valid, biblical, lifetime, one-on-one forgiveness, even in a marriage, especially in a marriage? And then we have to ask the question, where is there a law that says I have to apologize to anyone for anything? The truth is, forgiveness leads to healing. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Thou shalt forgive your mate 490 times and encourages you to build up a habit of forgiveness toward the people you love. That's coming up in just a moment on The Winning Walk. Here's Dr. Young with today's message, Thou Shalt Forgive Your Mate 490 Times. Bob was a sales representative. He was out of town about two or three days every other week. He argued with his wife, Mary, frequently. The children were undisciplined. The house seemed to always be in a mess. There was little communication, and their marriage was in trouble. On the couple of days every other week, Bob was out of town. In the joint office there of his company, there was a young divorcee. Her name was Alice, and before long, Alice was hurting, and Bob was hurting, and you know the rest, don't you? You don't have to finish that story in the 20th century. An affair developed. Mary found out. Bob moved out. Bob, after a few months, decided even if he were divorced, he would not marry Alice. And then he began to figure it out and said, you know, if there would be any way I would make things right again with Mary. Now I've got a question for you. A very, very serious question that's asked every day all over the planet. Is there any way that Bob and Mary could make their marriage work again? Would it be worth the effort? What is the probability that they could come back together and really have a marriage that sizzles, that functions? A marriage that's filled with trust and confidence and deep and abiding love. We have to ask that question because affairs are so common in our culture. And we read our scripture, it says, well, we are to forgive someone seven times 70, 490 times. Boy, that's a lot, isn't it? You have to understand the context. Peter asked the question, trying to impress Jesus with how holy he was. You see, the law said that you forgave someone three times. After that, zip, no more forgiveness. 
But Peter, being flamboyant, he says, Lord, if I forgive someone who does something wrong against me seven times, twice the required amount plus one more. Isn't that like old Peter? He didn't lie, but he would blow it up where you could see it. He, he was always trying to impress. He was such a flamboyant kind of guy. He said, Lord, I know the law says three times, but if I forgive someone seven times, wouldn't that be enough? And Jesus said, Peter, you have to give seven times 70, 490 times. And what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying your whole lifestyle has to be a lifestyle of forgiveness in all relationships. But you say, what about adultery? I asked a wife this week, what would be the most difficult sin for her to forgive that her husband could commit? And she said, without hesitation, adultery. And then she thought, she said, well, if he squandered everything we saved and cashed in all our insurance policies and our house was gone, she said, she said, no, it's still adultery. So what about adultery? And anytime adultery takes place, the offended party always asks the same question. I've been through it hundreds of times. They say, why did it happen? They ask, how did it happen? So let's look at the anatomy of adultery. Two or three things. Number one, proximity. Always there is the the wife or the husband or friend or someone in the office, there, there's someone in the club, someone you saw at Little League, there's proximity. And here you see this person of the opposite sex always at their very best. They're groomed, they're, they're alive, they're smiling, they're, they're cheering or they're working and you work together or you play together in a different kind of atmosphere and then you look at your mate. And you see them with the dirty robes on and bad breath and <laughs> you name it. One wife told me that who'd been married twice, she said with her first husband, when toothpaste was splashed on the mirror, she would wipe it off and always fuss at him. She said with her second husband, she just wipes it off. She says, it's just men. But you can't do that with adultery. You can't just say, you know, 70 times 7, no big deal. And so we have to think about proximity. Proximity. And that leads many individuals who didn't think about it, who never contemplated, who never thought it was a chance into an adulterous relationship. Proximity. And the next thing's problems lead someone into adulterous relationship. And that's the midlife crisis. In menopause with women, uh, she begins to ask, you know, am I desirable? And men say, well, am I still alive? Am I still uh, there? And can I function? Can I attract someone of the opposite sex? So we go through all kinds of rationalizations here. Problems come. Or as one woman put it, my husband simply told me that if I did not satisfy him physically at home, he would find satisfaction somewhere else. Now that's a little blunt, 
But I've been through enough divorces, enough affairs, enough separation to know that if it's not a third party involved, that you have many, many more chances of getting that couple back together. But when adultery is a part of it, you got a whole different agenda entirely. So sometimes problems come, and this creates a climate for adultery. Problems with this life, problems with that life, it can come through success. And somebody gets so powerful, they're bulletproof, they're above morality. It can come through failure. They're so despondent and so defeated, they feel like someone else would care for them and meet their need that was not being met at home. So proximity leads to affairs. Problems lead to affairs. And of course, the playboy philosophy that dominates much of our culture leads to affairs. And what is that philosophy? If it feels good, it's all right. If you're a consenting adult, it's no big deal. And then the overriding thing is everybody does it. And so we see how and why. And now we ask, what is the response that you should make and people make to adultery? Some you shouldn't make, some you shouldn't make. Most responses that are made to adultery are the wrong responses. You know, some respond and they say, I want revenge, uh, retribution, a pound of flesh, retaliation. And they retaliate. They said, well, if you had an affair, I'm going to have an affair. And then you can just book it. You can just plant that marriage in the backwoods of nowhere. It's another failed relationship. I'm going to retaliate. It's fair for the goose. It's fair for the gander. It's fair for the gander. It's fair for the goose. And a lot of people respond like that. Retaliation. Others respond with resignation. Adultery has taken place. The Bible teaches that adultery is a ground for divorce. I'm calling the lawyer. I'm out of here. Pack your grip. Don't forget your hat. You know the story. Resignation. It is over, kaput, no way out, no hope. Zip, I'm gone. Resignation. A lot of people respond to adultery like that on biblical grounds. On biblical grounds. Others respond with accommodation. Hey, no harm, no foul. I'm going to just turn and look away. And, 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 you know, we'll, we'll just let it go here and I'll live my life and you live your life and we'll just accommodate your lifestyle and my lifestyle. And if we meet once in a while, that's all right. If we don't meet once in a while, that's all right. There's accommodation. Now, in this era of sexually transmitted diseases, that may be physiologically the deadliest thing you can do, let alone what it does to your spirituality. You accommodate. Let me tell you something. Let's just get down to honest brass tacks. Divorce breaks the heart of God. And just because you have a piece of paper and your marriage is broken is not much difference if your marriage is broken and you don't have a piece of paper. Separation, marriage together, accommodation, and a marriage that's divorced, the marriage that is broken, and you live together and say, we're not divorced, but your marriage is broken. Or you're divorced, and your marriage is broken, and you don't live. I don't think in God's economy, listen to me carefully, what breaks his heart is the brokenness of that marriage and the brokenness of the covenant. 
however we play it out in our secular society, it breaks the heart of God and divorce is wrong and divorce is a sin. I dare say a half to a third of the people here tonight have been divorced and you would stand up in unison and say, the Bible is absolutely right. Whether you are the offended party or the one who were offended or whether it was a 60-40 problem or however you divide up the blame, Brokenness in a marriage is wrong. And then we see the, the anatomy of an affair, if that's a part of it. And most of the time it is. Now, it's hard to tell whether the affair came out of problems in the home and that led to the affair, or the affair was what created the problems in the home. It, it's hard to make that determination many times. But so many times, that's the bottom line issue. So you see the anatomy, it's proximity, it's problems, it's the playboy philosophy and the culture in which we live. We see the response that we made to it. Uh, we want retribution or we just resign ourselves to it. Or then we accommodate ourselves to it. Now we go back to the original question, can there be redemption? Can a marriage that's broken, however it is broken, come alive again? That's a question. Now, we can talk about things that we do that lead to problems in marriage. That is our actions, but also our reactions lead to problems in marriage. Did you know that? Our reactions. For example, here's somebody, he, he doesn't get drunk. Whee! He doesn't lie. Boy, that's good. He's great. He doesn't commit adultery. Oh, my kind of guy. He's not a murderer? Boy, what a good guy he is. And you line up all of his actions, and he gets an A+, plus, but I want you to look at his reactions. He's petty. He's jealous. He's vindictive. He has a violent temper. He's touchy, touchy, touchy. What kind of person is this, male or female? By the way, when I say he, she, he, she, they're interchangeable. Interchangeable. So sometimes it is our reactions that gets our marriage into trouble, isn't it? Now, I can discipline myself. You may discipline yourself your actions. Boy, I don't do any of those bad things. No, sir. But our reaction reveals more of my character and your character than my actions. And what did the wife of, of Solomon say in the second chapter? She was talking about their lovemaking. And right in the middle of a very sensual chapter in, in Song of Solomon, Solomon chapter 2, that may lead some of you to read it, uh, she says a very interesting thing. She says, little foxes spoil the vines. What does that mean? Little foxes spoil the vines. She is saying in time of harvest, it's not the sleet and the rain and the snow and the wind. It's the little bitty foxes that get in and start to eat away all the grain and all the harvest. It's the little bitty things that destroy a marriage. And so it's not only our actions, but it's our reactions. And these little foxes just grow and gather more and more of the harvest of happiness in your marriage. And before long, here we are saying, boy, this relationship is in trouble. 
this relationship is in trouble. And marriages are broken by divorce and marriages are broken and you still live together under the same roof. And a broken marriage breaks the heart of God regardless of the circumstance. Now, we have to come now and ask another question. What about forgiveness? What about redemption? We're right back to the beginning. We read from Hosea. Hosea was quite a guy, wasn't he? Hosea married a girl, and it was a wonderful marriage, but she had an affair, and she had another affair, and she had another affair, and finally she left him and married someone else, and then she divorced and married someone else and someone else until finally she got a little older and then she had to become a prostitute to support herself and then she was so depleted and worn out she could not earn a living selling her body and so she became a slave until finally she was worthless and they put her on the auction block to auction her off and what happened? Hosea, her first husband, her lover, saw her for sale, broken, depleted, a slave, a prostitute, and he forgot all the embarrassment that his peers heaped upon him, and he made a bid for her and brought her back and forgave her and lived with her again as husband and wife. And the analogy is that's how God loves us. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of the little fox things, the attitudes, the reactions, forgiveness of the actions. You know, what all takes place in forgiveness? It's not an easy thing to forgive. Anybody say, oh, I, I just forgive that. Well, if it's trivial, but if you really get the heavy guns out with some situations that build up in relationships, forgiveness is never, never trivial. What's involved in forgiveness? Four things. First of all, history is involved. Something has happened. Something has happened. Now, can you forgive? It's ancient history. It's already happened, hasn't it? It's not to belittle it. It's not to say it's great or small. It's just in the past. That is ancient history. Okay? You can't change that. You, you can't redefine it. You can't tell it in some other way that somebody else hadn't already described it. It's nothing unique on the earth. It is just ancient history. When you're dealing with forgiveness and you're trying to forgive someone, you've got to recognize it's over and done, it's past. That's the first thing, a historical thing. The second thing is emotions. How do you respond? How do I respond emotionally to this thing that happened that that has hurt us. How do you respond emotionally? I know people whose emotions are locked about 15 or 16 years ago. They're still emotionally involved with a death back there, with some sin back there, to some divorce back there, to some failure back there, to some abuse back there, to some slander back there, and their emotions have kept them locked in place for years, right? We know a lot of people like that. And their whole life is defined by 
I fought in the Second World War, and I'll tell you, it was tough there. I've never got over being shot at, or Vietnam, or Korea, or whatever it is. Boy, I was successful, and I lost everything I had, and I, I just never have gotten over it. Or, or when I was a teenager, I want you to know my daddy came in and hit me, and I was just a little girl. I, I've never gotten over This is not to belittle those things or to make minor things of this. Don't misunderstand me, but I am saying a lot of people are locked up emotionally. You say, well, what do you do with this, these things that happen? Do you just push them down? Oh, no. Do you act like they're not there? Oh, no. The Bible says we take every thought captive. We take every thought captive. And we take these thoughts when they come up and we take them to the cross and we say, Lord, I know this is there, but take it out of my mind and my thought and heal and restore. And when we do that, God takes care of our emotional response just to things that happened in the past. You see? So it's a historical thing to deal with forgiveness if you have to forgive someone. And then there's an emotional thing. You take every thought captive. And you see, see a scripture, this is well, the scripture we're going to keep on looking at in marriage because it's a tremendous scripture. It is Ephesians. It's chapter number four, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. This is all those emotional things that we let pile up because of something that's happened in the past. Okay. So I'm, I'm talking about you are the offended one now and you've been called on to forgive. You see where we are? And there's a historical understanding, this has happened, it's ancient history. There's an emotional way that we deal with what's happened in the past. Okay, this is what we do. We take every thought captive. Ephesians 4.32 speaks to us. And the next thing, that's the penalty involved. Well, here you are, somebody, you need to forgive someone. And you say, well, it happened in the past. I understand that. And I'm working on my emotional response, the hurt and the abuse, the shame that I feel to that which happened in the past. And now you look and there's that person still standing there. And you say, he, she needs to be punished, right? You see, I'm trying to forgive this person by looking at that. Man, I tell you, she needs to be punished. I'll tell you. Boy, punishment has to be a part. This is no easy deal here. I'm telling you, there has to be punishment. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We just leave punishment to God. Well, God, you sure are slow. <laughs> God, don't you realize what this person has done? Oh, no. We just give the punishment to God. We, we, we strain it to God. But there's something else involved. There's not only history. There's not only emotions. There's not only punishment. But there's cost. Somebody has to pay for it. Who does that? Uh, I borrow your car. Okay? Well, I don't really borrow it. I just take it without your permission. I run into a pole. I bring it back and the front left side is all bashed in. And I come and I say, look, I just got your car. I took off, I wrecked it, and here it is. And you say, hey, no, no punishment, no problem. You just forget it. Man, it, it's okay. I mean, you, you're, you're my friend. It, it's all right. Don't worry about it. I say, look, I want to pay the price. No, 
Don't pay for the price. You'll pay for the price. So not only have you waived punishment, and you've gotten me off as far as any tickets are concerned, but on top of that, you have come and you are paying the price to have the, the fender put back into shape. You see, that's what's involved in forgiveness. When you ask for forgiveness, the fact took place, the emotions that go with the, the fact, that which is hurtful, and then the punishment, and you waive punishment, and you end up paying the price to cost yourself. You say, where do you get all this crazy stuff? At the cross. Jesus took our sins and died for our sins on Calvary. And the wages of sin is death. He took your punishment and my punishment, what we deserve. And he took the punishment. More than that, he paid the price for our sins so we can be right with God. So let me tell you, if there's going to be forgiveness, there's always pain, there's always suffering, there's always wood, there's always nails, there's always blood. Forgiveness never comes cheap or it's not forgiveness. You see what's involved in real, genuine, valid, biblical, lifetime, one-on-one -on -one forgiveness, even in a marriage, especially in a marriage? And then we have to ask the question, where is there a law that says I have to apologize to anyone for anything? Let me tell you how it works. We talked about forgiveness. Now we're getting down a little closer. You ask the question, well, why do I have to forgive? Number one, you and I have to forgive for this reason. God commands it. That's why. God says, forgive and you'll be forgiven. He commands that we be forgiving. We have no choice. It is a commandment of God. You can walk over the commandments of God. You cannot even know the commandments of God. And you can decide to disobey the commandments of God. But the commandments of God stand forever. They are immutable. God commands that we forgive. That's it. What else? Not only does God command that we, for, for, we forgive, but God says that you must forgive forgive and God as we look at him we see that forgiveness is a part of God's character that's another reason isn't it God commands we forgive we see that forgiveness is a part of God's character you see this beautifully in the book of Colossians see it over here Colossians chapter number three verse 13 it says for bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone listen just as the Lord forgave you all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. In other words, we are to forgive just as the Lord forgave us. Now, we don't forgive just because God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. We forgive just as the Lord has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. This means we forgive though we do not deserve to be, anyone does not deserve to be forgiven. We give without limit. We, we give without apology. We just forgive because it is the character of God. It is the character he wants us to display. So this is a tough assignment for me. It's a tough assignment for you. Make no little thing over it. We forgive because God commands. It's a part of God's character. I'll tell you the third reason we forgive. 
Unforgiveness will eat you up. Oh, yeah. Unforgiveness will eat you alive. Most people don't have ulcers because of what they eat and drink. They have ulcers because of that which is eating them up. You hold bitterness in your heart, that root of bitterness. The author of Hebrews talks about in the 12th chapter. You seek vengeance. You look forward to the downfall of that person who's hurt you and harmed you, and you play that over in your mind over and over and over again. You know what happens? The person that you hate and the person you feel or actually has abused you or slandered you and hurt you, they control your life. When you don't get rid of the bitterness, when you seek to have revenge, that person that you're so hard against, they control you. You sit down to eat, they're eating with you. You go and have pleasure, you can't have pleasure because you have that hatred about, about this over here. You haven't forgiven, you haven't dealt with, see? They, they control you. And we forgive because unforgiveness eats somebody up. I could call the name of someone that about a third of you would know who sat in this church probably for eight years, Sunday morning, Sunday night. He died a middle-aged man because he was eaten up with bitterness. He was bitter against everybody. It started way back and it festered and it grew and he never got over it and bang, he's dead tonight. That's what bitterness does to you. That's what vengeance does to you. Unforgiveness will kill you. It'll eat you up. That's another reason we forgive. But let me tell you what I think is the number one reason we forgive. We forgive because the Bible tells us that you will not be forgiven unless you forgive. I don't know about you, I need a lot of forgiveness. And the Bible says, you will not be forgiven of your sin unless you are forgiving. You see, we come to the marriage via altar and we say, you're to love, honor, and obey. It should say you should love, honor, and forgive. Somebody said a marriage is made up of two great lovers. Don't you believe that? A successful marriage, a great marriage, is made up of two great forgivers. And sometimes marriages get in desperate situations over little foxes or over adultery or over abuse or whatever cause, great or small, whether it's actions or reactions because they haven't learned how to communicate. I read of a Christian counselor, he was talking to a couple and they said, all the life has gone out of our marriage. Our marriage is dead. It cannot be resurrected. There is no feeling, no emotion, we're through. We have no sympathy, no love, not even a little bit of concern for one another. The marriage counselor said, oh, but wait a minute. All the way through this session, I have noticed, I have noticed that you, the wife, has called the husband hun, hun, all the way through. She said, I've called him hun for years. He said, that's Attila the hun. Unless we forgive one another, God cannot forgive us. Do we need any more reasons to be forgiving and to forgive our mate 70 times 7? We're not talking about easy forgiveness, by the way. 
if there's an adulterous relationship, you can forgive and not have restitution and not restore the relationship, by the way, because restore that relationship when it's a serious breach of that marriage vow, it's going to take shame and brokenness and repentance and then forgiveness, and then maybe there will be healing and maybe there will be health. So we're talking about cheap grace, ladies and gentlemen. Don't misunderstand me and say, well, you're just supposed to forgive 70 times 7, and you just keep on forgiving me, and I'm, I'm sorry, and you know. Oh, no, 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 that's not it. Remember all the ingredients of true biblical forgiveness. A cross is involved by the person who forgives and shame and brokenness and repentance is involved by the person who's seeking forgiveness. And there's a nail and there's wood and there's suffering and there's blood in forgiveness because it takes divine love to forgive and to be forgiven. But if you decide not to forgive, I can tell you God cannot forgive you and God cannot forgive me. So there's some here tonight who need to be forgiven by God. There's some here tonight who need to forgive others. There's some here who said, I have prayed and I've asked the Lord to forgive me, but I just don't feel forgiven. Let me tell you the steps you go through. You confess your sin. You turn away from your sin. You receive Jesus Christ in your life as Lord and Savior of your life. That's conversion. If you're a Christian and you sin, you confess your sin. You turn away from your sin and you put Jesus once again in control of your life and you get back with God in that way. You say, well, I've done all that and I still don't feel forgiven. Read your Bible. Read the promises of God about forgiveness. There is that amnesia promise, as I call it. That's Jeremiah 31. And the Lord says, I even forget that you've sinned. Isn't that something I, you know, we say forgive and forget. Boy, I can forgive, but that forgetting comes hard with me. God can forget. He's omnipotent. We, we have trouble forgetting. God forgets. So claim that amnesia promise in Jeremiah 31. And then, then there's another promise that comes down through there. And that is the, the stain removal promise. You know that one? Isaiah number one. Isaiah chapter 1, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. You see, claim that promise. Now the stain has been removed and you're clean again. Claim that promise if you have trouble with forgiveness. The stain removal promise, Isaiah chapter 1. And then there's the east and the west promise. That's Psalm 103. It says he'll take your sin and put it as far as the east is from the west. In other words, at far extremities, that's the east-west promise about forgiveness. What a tremendous promise these promises are. Oh, yeah, and then there's a deep sea promise about forgiveness. He says, he will take your sin. That's Micah 7. He'll take your sin and my sin and put it down in the bottom of the sea, and we'll try to go get it out and fish it out, and we can't find it. It's too deep. You can't call that sin back. When Satan reminds you of it, you know it's buried because it is, you, you claim that amnesia promise. You claim the deep sea promise. You claim the, the stain promise. You have claimed the east-west promise. You see, just stand on the promises of God and say, I am clean. I am clean. So, 
Some here need to find the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. Some here need forgiveness. Some here need to be forgiven. And some here need to forgive. Some need all three. <laughs> all three. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need to do? Don't wait. Do it. Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Well, Dr. Young, let's talk about today's message for just a moment. The lack of forgiveness can literally kill a marriage, can it? It really can, Wayne, but also casual, silly forgiveness can hurt a marriage. For example, forgiveness is expensive. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for your sins and my sins and to give us the opportunity to receive Christ and have a new life. Forgiveness was exceedingly expensive for God. And genuine forgiveness is expensive because when you forgive, you take in upon yourself the pain that took place as, as far as the offense is concerned. So when you forgive, it's tough to do it. But it's tougher not to forgive, and we have to be active in forgiveness, proactive. In other words, we forgive 70 times 7. You say, well, I forget. How many is that? Uh, no, we, we have a lifestyle of forgiveness, but it can't mm. be casual because if we take forgiveness, oh, no big deal, no big deal, no big mm. deal. It is a big deal. And only the grace of God gives you, Wayne, and your wife, and my wife, and myself the ability to say, hey, you've confessed that problem, you've admitted it. Now, if you can make restitution for it, now forgiveness is there. Silly forgiveness, well, I don't know why you can't forgive. It just doesn't work. So forgiveness is a serious endeavor, as God cooked the initiative in Jesus Christ for us, and it's a serious endeavor uh, as we ask for forgiveness and as we give forgiveness because it's a, it's a two-way street. Well, there are uh, there's so much pain involved, and easy forgiveness just minimizes that pain. You have to come to grips with that pain that was caused. Right. Well, you haven't you haven't taken the offense or the sin right. seriously. That's what I mean. Or you do not understand its ramifications, and that's exactly right. So when you do that, we still have to offer forgiveness. Now, the tough thing is to forget, and only God can really forget. And we have to forgive and work at forgetting and ask God for the grace to forget. The Bible teaches that when God forgives your sin and my sin, Wayne, he forgets our sin. Now, that's supernatural. And when uh, I ask for your forgiveness, uh, you may you know, say, well, I'm going to forgive him, but I, I remember this sin a long, long time. So not only does God give us the grace to forgive, but I trust he gives us the grace to forget and let healing take place and growth take place. Very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We hope today's message has encouraged you to build your life on the proven truth of God's Word. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.